Well, we are in the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, if you want to turn there, do that now. Before we jump in, we are just going to take a moment and pray. Lord, we, we thank you that you are the lion and that you are the lamb. Lord, we praise your name. God, thank you that we can come together as your church, your body, your sons, and your daughters. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd open our hearts and minds, that you would lead us in walking the right path for your glory. Amen. Last week, we looked at how Paul commanded and, and even begged the church in Corinth to forgive. To forgive a man who had caused some issues, who had caused some, some pain. And how forgiveness needs to be, have an action step of to do good or pray or bless, bless that person. Now, I want to look at the same passage that we read last week, but I want to look at something else in that passage 2 Corinthians 2, verses 5 to 11. There's something that kind of just struck me, and I was like, I need to point this out and take note of this. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you, to the whole church. For as one, this punishment by the majority, it's enough. So now you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you, reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs, or we are not unaware of his schemes. Paul says, I forgive in the presence of Christ so that we are not outwitted by Satan. He doesn't want the church to be outwitted by Satan. So let's look at the Corinthian church. What would have happened if they would not have forgiven? What would it have looked like to Satan, looked like for, for Satan to have outwitted them? Well, if they would have not forgiven, what would that have taught the whole church? Well, God forgives us, but this, this sin that this guy did, God, no, we don't, we don't forgive that. Would have taught a limited grace, which is not the truth. I like what Paul says here. Well, I don't, I don't like it, but he points out a good point is that um, reaffirm your love, comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. This was a brother who was repentant and sorrowful, and they're like, no, it's not good enough. That would have driven him even more to despair. And man, the enemy would have just loved that. It would have given the devil a foothold in the church of unforgiveness, which would have grown into bitterness towards that person perhaps their whole family. It would have grown pride in those who did not commit the sin that that guy did. 
It's like, well, I'm not like him. He did that sin, so I'm so much better. Man. See, that's what the enemy wants, disunity within the church, because you can guarantee that's what it would have caused. Paul and the church would have been estranged. The church within the church would have been torn and wrestling, and that's not what God wants. And he, he ends this. He says, for we're not unaware of his schemes. And I stopped for a moment. I was like, we're not? Wait a minute. What are the devil's schemes? What are his schemes? Because this is the truth. You and I, we have an enemy. We have an enemy. We have an enemy who hates us because we are loved by the God that he rejected. We are made in the image of the God he despises. We share in the inheritance of Christ, eternity, what he wanted, but he will never have. This is somebody who does not like you and I very much. And being made in God's image, when he looks at us, what he sees, he receives a reflection of God, and oh, that probably just gets him angry. Ephesians 6.12 says this, for our struggle, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against one another. It is against the, the rulers, the authorities, the powers in this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I want to let you know right off the top, I'm not telling you this today to cause fear or panic or worry. That's not my goal. My goal is that you would be aware. That we would know fully what is coming at us to be prepared. But not in fear. Not in fear. John, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you. If you follow Jesus Christ, he has given you his spirit as a deposit. It's like a guarantee of your faith. And he lives in you. And he is way more powerful than he was in this world. And I think often we forget that. So, little quick recap. Who is our enemy? Well, you can call him the devil, Satan, whatever term the Bible gives him, gives him devil, Satan, enemy, um, whatnot. But he started out as an angel. He was the top angel. His name was Lucifer. And in, in the Old Testament prophets, it actually says he was like radiant and beautiful. Like it, it describes him by using all kinds of like jewels and stuff. So like he was bedazzled, if you will. And he started looking at himself and he's like, man, I am beautiful. And there was pride that welled up. So I should be in control. And he revolted against God. So God, through him and a third of the angels that followed him, which we call demons now, fallen angels, down to the earth. And that is where he roams. First Peter 5.8 says, be alert. Be aware. Be sober-minded. 
Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion. He's looking for someone to devour. We have an enemy who is actively trying to destroy us. So what is his strategies? How does he do it? Because would that not be helpful? If you had an enemy, wouldn't you want to know their exact battle plan? Scripture gives us that. We know exactly how he's going to do it. John 10.10 says the thief, the enemy, he comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants to steal everything good out of your life. He wants to kill any joy or happiness you have. He wants to destroy you completely. That's his goal. He wants to destroy your marriage, your friendships, your relationships, everything about you. You don't know his biggest weapon. I would say it's almost his only weapon, but his biggest weapon is lies. It's lies. This is what John 8:44 says. This is Jesus. He was a murderer. He's talking about the enemy, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he didn't hold to the truth. For there is no truth in him. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He is the father of all lies. Can we not see that, though? From the first moment he opens his mouth on the earth in the garden with Adam and Eve, there's the serpent, the enemy, they're tempting them. The first moment he opens his mouth on the earth that we see his words, what is he doing? He's lying and tempting. Let's look at that for a moment. Eve's there in the garden. You know, God gave them this whole awesome garden. There was one tree. He said, don't eat from this tree. You know, other than that, it's all good. So the devil comes down. And he says to Eve, he says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the whole garden? What's he doing? He's planting a lie, the lie being that God's not good. Oh, God said you can't eat from any tree? He's not good. And she corrects him. She's like, no, no, no. He said we could only not eat from the one tree. You know, we can't even touch it. I mean, she adds that on. That's not what God said, but she added that on. We won't go into anything about that. She's like, we can't, you know, eat from that one tree. You can't touch it or we will, we will die. The next words, another lie. You will not die. But if you eat it, you will become like God and you will know good and evil. God's holding back on you. See the other lie that he's confirming again? That God's not a good God. And what happens is Eve starts to think about it. And that lie starts to take root and she believes it. And she takes the fruit and eats it. And they're kicked out of the garden, and the whole earth is fallen. Not great stuff. But see the, the lies that Satan used. Because this is the thing. The enemy can't make you do anything. He can't make you do anything. You can't be like, well, the devil made me do it. It's like, no, you have your own choices. But the thing is that he will lie to you. And when you believe those lies, what you believe controls how you act. 
What you believe is, is the thing that controls how you act out in your life. So do you believe God or do you believe the lies of the enemy? Because I would say ultimately the battle between good and evil is a battle of belief. Who we believe, what we believe, which is huge. I mean, that's why Jesus said, he's like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus himself says he is truth as opposed to our enemy who has got no truth in him and speaks only lies. He's going to try to get his lies into your life in every way that he possibly can. He will whisper lies to you. He will speak to, to you through people around you. He will use the world systems, the media, movies, music. Man, there stuff just chock full of lies that go against God's word. I mean, that's why Peter, he's like, be alert. Hey, wake up. Be sober-minded. Like, pay attention. You're in a battle. And it's a battle of truth and lies. Because what you believe controls how you act. Now, if you believe that money will make you happy, you're going to do everything that you can to get more money. I mean, it may be working hard and long and extra hours. It may be cheating or stealing or, or hoarding it to yourself because that's what you believe will make you happy. So what you believe is controlling how you act. Now, on the other hand, if you believe Jesus will make you happy, you'll still work hard. But it won't be for the money. It'll be for him, for his glory. Now, if you believe and think that being popular and being liked by everybody else is the most important thing, man, you're going to go to great lengths to always be wearing the right clothes, always be hanging out with the right people, always knowing about the right stuff that other people are always knowing about. I mean, this is, this is me. I wrestle with this. As a, as a people-pleasing person, this is, this is my wrestle of belief. You'll sacrifice. You end up sacrificing so much of yourself for others. And it's a lie. It's worthless. It's a chasing after the wind. If your pursuit for wholeness, happiness, meaning, fulfillment is not Jesus, it's a lie. If your pursuit for wholeness, happiness, meaning, fulfillment, pleasure is not Jesus, you're chasing a lie. How often do we find ourselves chasing lies, worthless, meaningless, deception and garbage? So I would pray, and I've, and I've done this a number of times, sit down and I pray, Holy Spirit, reveal to me any lies that I am believing that you need to deal with. Man, and there's sometimes stuff that just comes right out of left field. It's like, what? There's no way I believe that lie. And all of a sudden he's like, well, why did you do this? Why did you do this? It's like, oh, you're right. Another point for you, Holy Spirit. I'm still at zero, <laughs> which is a good thing, which is a good thing. So why does he lie to us? Is it just to, to lie to us? Now, there's, there's an end goal 
in mind. He lies to us so that he can tempt us to disobey. Because this is the thing. Without the lie, temptation has much less power, right? Like if I believe this thing will make me happy, I'm like, oh, I want that. Oh, that'd be, that'd be great. I've always wanted a hot tub. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be so awesome. So I start to believe that that's going to make me happy and that's what I want and that's what's going to give me fulfillment in life. And I start thinking about it and just obsessing about it because there's a lie that I'm believing. But if I believe the truth, it's like, oh, that won't make me happy. Oh, <laughs> okay. Move on. I'm not so worried about it because there's a truth. We have to know the truth. I mean, this is why it is so important for us to study and know God's word because this is truth. Getting to know who Jesus is. Jesus said, I am truth. We need to know it so well that we can recognize those lies. Because when we can recognize the lies, then we can do battle with them. But if we don't see them, man. So, he lies to us because he wants to tempt us to disobey God. Because he knows how God has created things. God has created things that if you disobey, there's consequences. There's punishment. Sometimes there's even a curse that falls on you when you disobey the way God has made things happen. We know there's natural consequences in this world that we can see and we can think about. What happens when we go against the way God has made things? And Satan, he knows that those things are not awesome and he wants that for you. He wants you to come under punishment and consequences. He loves to see people hurting. Our enemy is not kind. He doesn't have any gentlemanly rules. He will kick you when you're down. And this, oh, this makes me so angry. When we sin, you know, and, there's, and there's the resulting consequences and, and pain that comes from when we sin in our lives, you know what he loves to come in and do? He loves to come in and start whispering more lies. Oh, you're horrible. You're such a bad person. Oh, if they knew what you had done, God will never forgive you for that. I declare right now in the name of Jesus, if you have any of those thoughts, those are lies from the enemy. That is not true. You are created, special, unique, one of a kind, and you are loved by God who made you. And there is forgiveness for any sin in the name of Jesus Christ. When we confess and repent and follow him, you are forgiven and washed clean. Amen? Amen. Yes. <laughs> so you, you tell the enemy, nah, I know the truth. I hold to that truth. <laughs> it is my lifeline. I cling to it tightly. So how do we win? How do we win? How do we claim the victory in our life, in our life, when the lies come, when the temptations come? Because this is the truth, right? Jesus has won the battle. He won the battle. I love how Scripture puts this. It it makes sense in my mind. First Peter five eight. Be alert, sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm. 1 Corinthians 6.13, be alert on your guard, stand 
firm in your faith. Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God so you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. Ephesians 6.13, take up the full armor so that you may be able to stand your ground on the day of evil, having done everything to stand. See a theme there? To stand firm. But what are we standing on? The ground that we're standing on is solid. The ground that we stand firm on is unshakable. This ground is covered in precious blood. This ground has seen death and resurrection of the king. This ground is pure, holy light, and the darkness can do nothing here but flee. This ground is none other than the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and the work that he has done. When we stand on that ground, we stand firm, and the enemy must flee. There is nothing he can do. He's been defeated. But this is the thing. And this is, this is what I find myself doing. I step off the ground. I move away. Because what does the enemy do? He wants to come at you with everything he can, smoke and mirrors and temptations and distractions to try to get us to move, to back down, to, to step back, step off of the ground. Even let us get us let us get bored so that we're just, well, okay, I'm gonna wander over here now. Don't move. Keep your feet planted in Jesus. Because when we're planted solidly in Christ, when we are covered in that, we're looking at the world through the lens of Christ, through truth. So when the lies come, we see it. Because a lie <laughs> up against truth, there's nothing to it. It disarms it completely. That's how we can resist. We stand. We stand firm. In the, in the Screwtape Letters, which is a book by C.S. Lewis, um, which is... It's fascinating to read. It is a senior demon writing a letter to a junior demon on how to mess up Christians, how to get Christians to sin and, and fall. It, it's all hypothetical, of course. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting read. I mean, if you don't read, you can listen to the audiobook, which is fascinating because it's, it's voiced by Andy Serkis, who is uh, the voice of Gollum from Lord of the Rings, and he voices the... Anyways, um, it's, it's very... I, I find it interesting. Anyways, he says this, the senior demon trying to, trying to teach the younger demon something. So we have, to, we have to flip this around. Everything good in here is bad and everything bad is good. Okay, anyways, I'll, I'll read a quote from you. This is from page 25. Whenever they, Christians, are attending to the enemy himself, God, that's their enemy, we are defeated. But there are ways of preventing them from doing so. 
The simplest is to turn their gaze away from him to themselves. And I think that's what I find happens in my life more often than not, is I start looking at myself rather than Christ. Oh no, what's gonna happen to me? Oh no, this and this and this. I mean, the perfect example of this is like Peter walking on the water, right? Jesus calls him out of the boat. He's like, okay, starts walking on the water and it's like, far out, man. That was cool. Um, looking at Jesus, but all of a sudden, Peter starts looking at the waves and starts to take his eyes off of Jesus. Now, I mean, Peter was a fisherman for his whole life. He grew up on the water. And so if he's starting to freak out about waves, these are big waves. He takes his eyes off Jesus, starts seeing the waves, he starts to sink. Because he starts to, oh no, I'm going to die. I'm going to drown. So, no, Jesus is right there. So Jesus comes and he, and he pulls him up. But I mean, that's, that's what I find happens to me. I get so distracted by myself rather than Christ. And I lower my guard, put down my shield, and the darts of the enemies come, come through. And then I got to do the work. Got to do the work. In the name of Jesus, this is a lie. I renounce it. I break it. Cast it aside. And through Jesus, there's freedom. Now, I know that there's still lies that I believe. <laughs> I just look at my actions. Yep, there's still lies that I believe. And I know there's lies that we believe. But through Jesus, he'll reveal those. He'll bring him to the surface. And we have to look to the truth of who he is and what he's done. If we're focused on Christ and standing firmly on him, the battle is ours. So where are you standing? Where are you standing? Let's pray. Oh, Lord. We love you and we thank you. For your word is truth. Jesus, you yourself are truth and we need you. We need you to break the lies, to open our eyes to see. Father, I pray as a church that we would stand our ground firmly on you and your truth and claim that the victory is yours. The battle's been won. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want to end today by reading the beautiful passage in Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. Now, before I read it, think about all the different pieces of armor with Christ in mind. Because every single one of them is rooted in Jesus Christ. So when he says to clothe yourself, to put on this armor, we are literally clothing ourselves in Jesus Christ, what he has done, his work. Keep that in mind as I read this final passage. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally, to wrap it all up, be strengthened in the Lord and the strength of his power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the powers, against the rulers of this darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. So for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground on the day of evil. And having done everything to stand, stand firm, therefore, by putting the belt of truth around your waist, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news, the gospel of peace. And in all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And with every prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And to this end, be alert with all perseverance and requests for all the saints. And this we pray over every one of you in the name of Jesus.